NBA Hybrid Podcast brought to you by Jalen Uzi and me, Michael Kimball. Today, our good friend Kyle Stein is not with us, but we have substituted in another uh, manager from the Scorekeeper Fantasy League. We have with us today Christopher Shannon. Chris, welcome to the pod. Great to be here, Michael. Um, great, great to be here, Jalen. Great to have you. We're looking forward to talking about dunks with you today. We are in NBA suspension, as we have been for uh, quite a while now. So we will be traveling back in time uh, to the first dunks ever and to the first dunk contest ever. And we will bring you all the way up to now in terms of the best dunks Ever So let's start out with a little bit of history. Um, I just want to mention sometimes the first dunk, what gets called the first dunk, and I'm not counting this as the first dunk. I'm just getting that out there uh, out in front. Uh, but Joe Inglis, sometime in the 1910s, the year is uncertain. At the time, basketball games were played often with a cage around the court. Joe Inglis, a player, climbed the cage. And a teammate passed him the ball, which he then dropped through the basket. That is sometimes referred to as the first dunk. I don't think we should count it. What do you guys think? I kind of side with you that maybe we shouldn't count it. But I think in watching all of these dunks, I've I've really gotten into dunks in preparation for this pod. Um, The dunk contest itself is a referential art form. And basketball skill itself uh, and athleticism is in many ways referential and like uh, it's like building on building blocks, you know, building on a foundation that prior generations have set. And so with that in mind, I guess, you know, we can count it. We can say that we needed (laughs) uh, the innovation, you know, the sort of outlaw spirit of climbing the cage and and dunking a basketball. Uh, We needed that to get to Dr. J and Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilkins and everyone that comes later. So um, maybe there's a. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I hear you. I'm willing to uh, provisionally grant it. Uh, One of the next dunks and the one that is often uh, credited with being the first dunk in some sort of real game. Uh, It was the 1936 Olympic trials, Joe Fortenberry. Uh, It was a game that the U.S. won 19 to 8. Fortenberry had eight of the points. Um, Oh, no, that was the that was the uh, Olympic uh, championship game. But in the trials, Fortenberry had dunked. One of the things that's interesting to me about this is the description that Arthur Daly used in the New York Times to describe it. He says, did not use an ordinary curling toss, not those giants. They left the floor, reached up, and pitched the ball downward into the hoop, much like a cafeteria customer dunking a roll in coffee. And that little (laughs) phrase, dunking a roll in coffee, is why we're talking about dunks right now rather than the same shot called something else. Yeah, I think what I've noticed from that the 36 Olympics example is that the dunk from its origin had uh, a political aspect to it. It had a disrespect aspect to it. It had a showmanship aspect to it. Yeah. So I think I think that's what struck me about it. Uh, I'm quoting this from memory, but if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Japanese team at that Olympics, the Japanese basketball team, yep. 
petitioned or wanted uh, for the Olympic Committee to institute a rule that said basketball players had to be six foot two or shorter uh, <laughs> yep. because Fortenberry was six foot eight and, you know, he was dunking all over them and destroying and the U.S. was destroying everyone. So they wanted to institute a rule to stop it, essentially. Right. Well, and I'm interested in that aspect that that certain opponents, teams, uh, coaches found it so I don't even know what to call it. So embarrassing or humiliating. Those are words that come up in the dunk history a fair amount. Why was it so humiliating for Fortenberry to dunk on, say, the Japanese team? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I've heard uh, in listening, I can't uh, quote where I heard it from. I've been listening to a lot of dunk podcasts and videos and everything, but Someone said, when you lay the ball up, you lay the ball up. It's textbook. It's fundamental. You're doing it to score. But when you dunk the ball, you're doing it almost inherent in the act to send a message or you're you're doing the act upon someone else. You're dunking right. on someone. You're dunking on the nearest person. Even if they're not trying to contest a shot, the nearest person to the, the play is going to be in the picture forever. You know, <laughs> They're either going to be looking right. at you in surprise or disgust or fear or whatever it is. So it, it has that, that added element. Um, right. And I think that is an element that a lot of people, especially uh, closer to the game's inception, wanted – they were uncomfortable with they were uncomfortable with seeing it uh, in the game. And I think, you know, that has long roots. We talked about this when we were talking about the Celtics um, in Bird's era and the way that like players uh, who were coming in who were more individual talents from the ABA. Uh, there right. was this coded language to talk about these black athletes and that they didn't play team ball and they didn't pass and all this sort of stuff. And I think in a similar they, they fashion, the right way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Playing the right way. Um, and I think in a similar fashion, the dunk kind of carries a lot of that stuff. Well, and one of the things I read, though I didn't find much specific on it, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, a player who dunked was undercut on purpose while they were in the air for simply the affront of attempting the dunk. Like, ju just that was enough. And I get that, yeah, it's there's some unnecessary movement, there's some showmanship, I still find it really odd that this is considered such a humiliating thing unless you're Frederick Weiss or somebody like that who's just been, you know, repeatedly humiliated by a really specific dunk. Um, or, or Aaron Baines in uh, contemporary examples like <laughs> well, uh, that's, Rob but he's Lopez interesting. Uh, his uh, he he calls it the Aaron Baines uh, Memorial Dunk Cemetery or whatever right. because <laughs> Baines gets dunked on so much. Well, but he's an interesting case. He gets dunked on so much, and it happens to Jared Allen today too, to some extent, because those guys will go up and try to block anything that comes their way, even if they know they don't have the advantage, even if they know they're almost certainly going to get dunked on, and it could be a poster. There's guys like. Aaron Baines and Jared Allen are still going up to try to make that play. Why don't they feel the same humiliation? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like it's it's just uh, personality and play style, you know. Like, I think of Alonzo Mourning, who uh, I think the injury that, like, basically ended his career was on him trying to block someone where he, like, hurt his knee. 
Um, and just some players, they just live for the thrill. You know, it, I guess it's worth it to them. The thrill of blocking someone's dunk is worth right. it for like the, the chance that they might end up on the wrong side of the event. Uh, but I mean, you know, everybody I think makes business decisions here and there, but yeah, you, if you're going to be, if you're going to be a shot blocker, you've got to, you got to be willing to take a facial every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess if you are to be trying to be that shot blocker, you're trying to one up the humiliation. You're trying to humiliate the person who's trying to humiliate you yeah and there's almost like a weighted scale aspect to it (laughs) yeah if if you're the shot blocker and you get someone once that they're gonna remember that block like it like the the lebron block on uh who was it tiago splitter in the finals like i can't get that block out of my head like if lebron gets dunked on by splitter uh it's just i feel (laughs) like it will just go away because someone else is always going to be getting dunked on but like Blocking someone's shot at the apex, you know, it's just like yeah. two Goliaths meeting at the apex. There's something to it. It's almost like it's not supposed to happen, you know. It's like one thing for the guy to miss the dunk, but for you to actually block it head on, right. um, it's it's surprising. I guess if if you are posterizing somebody or if you're blocking somebody's attempt to posterize you, and, a, and this makes me think of Michael Jordan doc here, uh, and the thing that Jordan keeps coming back to where he just couldn't accept anybody having anything on him. Dunking on somebody is having something on them. Blocking somebody's dunk is having something on them. I yeah, think that's, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think before we before we move on, I just want to say I think there are a lot of parallels uh, with the dunk and the home run and specifically the home run celebration in in baseball, you know, like a bat flip, Um, like in the ways in which it's interesting that like baseball hasn't really changed from its inception of like, don't do not show the pitcher up. Otherwise we're going to throw a projectile at your head uh, <laughs> at upwards of 90 miles per hour. And, you know, the NCAA, they instituted their uh, no dunking ban in 67. Um, right. And one of the reasons that they cited for the ban was uh, that, what you just said, players were being undercut all the time when they went up to dunk because they wanted to, you know, get rid of that, that embarrassment from the dunk. So I think it's interesting to see that how far basketball has come from that moment, from like an instituted ban on the play and from like this accepted unwritten rule that allowed players and emboldened players to harm and physically like put players in danger. This is a very dangerous play. Um, and it was just accepted because there, because of this unwritten rule. And, you know, basketball has moved like so far from that now. Um, right. Chris, yeah, what think... about you? What, what did you what did you think about that history? Oh, well, I mean, it's obviously very racially motivated. And I, just, I found one of the articles back back in the old New York Times archives that where they took a vote um, of col- of all college coaches and you know, whatever division of NCA it was at that point. Um, but they voted 81 to 10, um, wow. essentially to get rid of it. I don't know if that's every coach or not. Uh, and, and that's, you know, after guys like Bill Russell and Wilt came through. Right. So right. it's pretty clear. I mean, it's just like another instance. Yeah. I, mean, I, won't, I won't go into it too far, but. Well, um, it immediately followed the NCAA championship game the previous year in 66, which was uh, Texas Western against Kentucky. And Texas Western started an all-black team, while Kentucky started an all-white team, and I believe had all-white players only. Here's to Worsley to the free throw line cage. Here he goes right down the three-second zone and dunks it. 
still trailing 72 to 65, and the ball game is over. As Kentucky has lost the championship game for the first time in their history. That sort of uh, is more support for the racial motivation behind this. Um, I also remember as a kid, I used to read all of those sports biographies in your elementary school library, the big, you know, they were large format, thin things. And I still remember the Lou Alcindor one and reading about him, you know, he couldn't dunk anymore in college and just thinking, I, like, I was, I was infuriated for him even as a child and loved the fact that he graduated not too much longer later and could dunk again in the NBA. Um, and another tidbit about that NCAA rule wanted to call out one of the most interesting dunkers which we'll uh, uh, discuss in a, just a bit with the 1976 contest david thompson played his entire college career under the no dunk rule on the last play of his last college game he dunked at once receiving a technical foul and a standing ovation so yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's amazing. That like that's that is the, like the perfect way to dunk because the dunk, you know, the act itself was kind of like a rebel act, you know, it, it was filled with this rebel spirit and so the NCAA had instituted the rule and now it was just like that rebel spirit was even greater because it was like literally breaking the rules. There it was no yeah. no longer an unwritten rule, it was breaking a literal rule. So I mean that's just perfect way I feel like to end David Thompson's uh, NCAA career. <laughs> Right. And so that very next year, David Thompson, I think it's the very next year, is in the NBA. It's 19, not sorry, not the NBA. He is in the ABA. It's 1976. And it's the first dunk contest ever. We have five participants, Larry Keenan, uh, George Gervin, Artis Gilmore, Dr. J and David Thompson. Um, the footage is grainy. Uh, but it's pretty great to see this first contest. I'm trying to remember, Jalen, do you have the rules right off? We had talked about, oh, the criteria was... The contestants will be judged on artistic ability, imagination, body flow, as well as fan response. Yeah, I think, uh, I think yeah. we should talk about that a little bit because I feel like what started us wanting to do this pod was obviously the 2020 dunk contest between uh, Aaron Gordon, the finals between Aaron Gordon and Derek Jones Jr. And you you mentioned it, you know, we were on our way to to the studio to record a shot tower pod, you know, back when we could leave our house, uh, our houses. <laughs> so, and you were like, yeah, I think Derek Jones Jr. just looked cooler and more aesthetic. And, and I, I generally agreed with you, you know, that like there yeah. was something to his movements and the way he looked in, in the air. And, and then when I went back and watched this inaugural dunk contest in 76, and they say imagination and body flow. And I'm just like, <laughs> wow, that's like the perfect way of saying it. And later on, they changed the language to like yeah. creativity, style and athleticism, which just right. as a writer, I think is just a lot less punchy and less less interesting but I, yeah I that mean, body, body flow, flow so cool. captures so much more than any of those the the descriptors today does it's just yeah. yeah yeah and i think they were honest about the biases also because they included fan response in the criteria right and fan response is clearly a part of the criteria later with jordan in 88 in chicago 
and Vince Carter uh, in Oakland. Like, who, who wins the crowd wins the day, I think, is pretty much the, the story in the dunk contest. Often. I think there's an interesting point in our 76 contest. We'll get to it at the end. Um, Chris, who, who'd you like in this first contest? Oh, God. Well, you know, Dr. J, of course, was incredible. Um, but I actually found myself really digging, um, I think, David Thompson. He had a yeah. double pump reverse. Mm-hmm. Oh, my uh, God. They, that double pump reverse was amazing. And we, we got to it sooner than we th- I thought. But it had an enormous fan response. It had the best fan response out of any dunk in this contest, I think. Yeah. And I think, I mean, actually, honestly, I think, I think he might've been the, the winner, you know, but um, Dr. Well, J was a little more famous at that point. Um, well, and I think he lost because he had that one miss. Yeah. And oh, they right. scored That's it the differently. So I think if David Thompson would have made all five dunks, he would have beaten Dr. J and been the first dunk contest champion. We might even look at Dr. J differently today. Probably not, but I, I mean, that miss cost him the contest. Yeah, I kind of like rules, those rules. Yeah, the rules were different. It was such that you got a zero for a missed dunk. And I think later on, the rules basically changed where you could replace a, a dunk later on. I think in about the in 88, uh, I think you could replace a dunk. And then later, uh, like the most recent dunk contest, you just got three tries for, for your dunks right. with like no replacement system. But yeah, in, in 76, you missed, you got zero, that's it. You move on. And yeah, as you say, Chris, I think that's that was pretty much it for Thompson's case. And I also found myself drawn to him. So we should say that like uh, this inaugural dunk contest had a strict uh, platform, uh, a strict right. format. Each contestant will execute five slam dunks within a time limit of two minutes. There will be two mandatory dunks, one from a standing position under the basket and the other taking off from a spot 10 feet from the basket in the foul lane. The three freelance moves will be governed by position on the court, one from the left and one from the right side of the lane and the other starting at either corner down the baseline. And David Thompson's uh, supposed like 10 feet away from the basket dunk, uh, which is obviously the one that Dr. J used to do the famous free throw line dunk. But David right. Thompson, he jumps from inside the free throw line more significantly, uh, but he cuffs his. He actually cuffs yep. the ball and like puts a bit of flair <laughs> on it. And I really prefer that. I prefer the guys doing things creatively in the air to just like I'm just going to say it now. I'm like. I'm, I'm out on the free throw line dunks like already. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to have to take the other side on the free throw dunk. If only because the free throw dunk was one of the things that made the dunk as big as it was in the 70s. Dr. J being able to do that dunk was something people tuned into games for. If he had a breakaway, you might see that dunk in a game. It was just one of the most amazing things, in part because the conception of what a dunk could be, the creativity surrounding dunks, just didn't really exist yet in the 1976 contest. The dunks we're seeing in that contest are mostly dunks we could see in a game you know by the yeah. time we're in 2020 even 2000 it's that's not the case anymore 
And so yes. it's a very different standard for what the dunk is. Players like Artis Gilmore, uh, one of the contestants, Larry Keenan, they're doing some pretty standard dunks without a ton of showmanship, flair, imagination, whatever uh, it's being called by the various announcers. Yeah, some of those dunks, I mean, I loved the relaxed nature of this contest. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, they, these guys seem so cool. I, I, they seem like the coolest guys in the world. And part of it is the relaxed attitude. And like Keenan, especially, like, it just seems like they were shooting around almost. They didn't even know the cameras were on. Well, um, I can't um, remember was it Keenan or maybe Artis Gilmore. One of the one of the referees was walking around explaining the rules to one of them as the yep. contest. <laughs> like you know, like he it just looked like he was talked into doing the dunk contest five minutes before, kind of thing. Um, yeah. So it was it was interesting to see the casualness while it's still being a really great show. You know, that many years ago. Yeah, I think, uh, Chris, I think, at least I think of this as sort of uh, nostalgia, right, for for this sort of relaxed scene, uh, this inaugural dunk contest. And I think the two examples that really highlight that are, one, like you're saying, uh, Michael, they were explaining the rules of the dunk contest uh, while it was happening because no one really knew where they were supposed to go or what they were supposed to do. But also, if I'm not mistaken, this happened at during the middle of the All-Star game itself. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they were potentially ah. like tired. Uh they were potentially tired and like maybe didn't have as much energy as they would otherwise. And also they say on the on the on the broadcast that the that um they would switch sides of the basket so as not to put pressure on the rims because I don't think we had breakaway rims at this point. So they were there yeah. was legitimate concern that <laughs> the rim would be broken and that's it. <laughs> the the contest is over. Yeah, that was it. Was a big problem back then, and, and uh, most most um, prolifically so with Daryl Dawkins, who broke a lot of backboards. And oddly, it was a farmer who took a piece of equipment from a, some John Deere farming equipment. He was able to create a, a, a piece for the rim that allowed it to move and snap back into place instead of snapping the backboard. And that was a huge. Um, the the NCAA adopted it in the late 70s, and then the uh, NBA did uh, pretty quickly after. So um, most of that ended until Shaq, instead of breaking backboards, just brought down the whole <laughs> basketball support, which was an entirely different thing. But yeah, they were they they to take the stress off the rims. They were using either end out of fear of that happening. Yeah. So um, that first contest in 1976, won by Dr. J, then uh, the ABA is integrated into the NBA. We don't get back to the dunk contest in 84. We're not going to talk about that one much unless either of you guys have something. Uh, and instead, we're going to go on to the Jordan versus Wilkins dunk contest. There were some other guys there, but it was really Jordan versus Wilkins, 1985. What do you guys think of that one? I think uh, this Chris's most recent comment reminded me of this is that um, so Dr. J is in the 85 contest. He's also in the 84 right. contest. He's the yeah. runner up in the in the 84 contest. So I think he has a I think he has a buy. He and Larry Nance have a buy in the right. 85 the contest. Uh, yeah. And and just the the honesty with which they're answering the questions, both he and Larry Nance are kind of like, 
well, I'm screwed. They're both like, uh, they're like, I don't have anything to compete with these guys. Like Dr. J literally says, I think I'm about the fourth uh, worse, you know, like I'm the fourth out of this group of dunkers. You know? Yeah. So I was hoping that <laughs> he says I'm I'm hoping to do like dunks with two balls and that will like win me over. <laughs> like he's he's trying to do parlor tricks essentially. He's like I yeah. I can't compete with them. And then Larry Nance is sort of the same way, and he's like, yeah, you know, these guys are great. They're doing some great dunks. I, I'm I don't really know what I'm gonna do, so I'm gonna have to figure it out now in the next couple minutes. So just the honesty with which they were answering and. uh Again, the lightness, the ease, the relaxedness. Um, I think Jordan dunks his first attempt in warm-ups, which seems to suggest that he's maybe not as into it or, like, believes he won't win no matter what you know like i, I don't know but his, it was his odd attempt, right that was theatrical yet. wasn't it or like he did that as a it was almost like costume work right like he he was making I don't a, know, a point or? i feel like i feel like it didn't look like costume like i feel like he looked much more interesting and exciting in just his like super short shorts with the white wristband and the gold chain popping compared to like the black shirt over the jersey or beneath the jersey and the like warm-up pants so i don't know yeah um that was interesting because in terms i think it was in indianapolis this one um yeah so this this contest i actually i did have notes on the previous one because um this contest of course featured Indiana Pacers all-time great Terrence Han- Stansberry, um, he was who I really incredible. never heard of until this. But he yeah, was I mean, incredible he, in this contest, though. I, I don't remember right. him existing or ever seeing him play. He was amazing. I, like, yeah. I, I'm going to suggest, and you guys can disagree, he should have been in the semifinals, and Michael Jordan should not have been in the semifinals. Yeah, I, I can't remember when he had his big miss. Like, he missed, and he sort of ran out of ideas after that. I don't remember what round that happened in, but he was great. I think he was someone who I feel like is an argument for just energy and flair. Like, he just – he was so exuberant that, like, I yeah. feel like he really captivated the crowd. There was It seemed like there was a pure, pure joy and beauty in what he was doing on the court, and he just – it was amazing to watch. I was caught off guard in part because I didn't know who this was, but I was also caught off guard because it just looked better than everybody else to me. Dr. J is old. Larry Nance isn't going to make it happen. You know, Neek is amazing. Michael Jordan is amazing here too, but Stansberry is the one who really stood out for me. And that miss was early in the semis and that sort of pushed him out of it. But yeah, um, his dunks oh, in that first yeah. round were superior to Jordan's. And if they would have, I mean, they basically just gave Jordan entry into the semis. You can see it happen on the sidelines. It gets discussed and all of a sudden there are five guys in the semis instead of four. So, <laughs> well, wait, hold on. Uh, didn't, is this the one where they have the dunk? They off had, between they had the sudden, and yeah. Stansberry and Jordan have the sudden dunk after the first round because they're, they're tied somehow because of some scoring errors with the computer. But I'm pretty sure it was actually Michael Jordan got scored lower than anybody wanted, and they had to figure out how to get him to move on. Ah, right. Yeah, scoring errors is a, a theme, a, wrong, <laughs> a long-running theme in the dunk contest. I'm guessing Nike just paid for that somehow. <laughs> Although the the dunk that he did in the dunk off was like kind of one of his signature dunks. Like I think I've seen that dunk a thousand times on commercials. And, Is that the uh, cradle one? 
Yeah, he rocks one of the cradles. Yeah, yeah, he rocks the baby, cups it, and then it's the windmill, um, sort of a side reverse windmill. But like Stansberry has an amazing dunk in that round. If you just compare those two dunks, Stansberry moves on. Michael Jordan doesn't, but for whatever reason, they both did. Yeah, and just to describe Stansberry's dunk, it just Statue of Liberty, one-handed, 360 from the dotted line. Yeah, it's just. It's crazy. I mean, it, it's dance. I mean, it's very dance about balletic, even. Um, yeah. But yeah. Just, so, I, yeah. I I was disappointed in that, but I think this sort of judging and slash scoring error uh, will continue to mar the dunk contest until somebody figures out a better way to do that, because this comes up over and over throughout the history. Um, yeah. yeah, and I, I wanted to say along those lines of like judge judging, I think the announcers say at one point that. Uh, Drexler's in this dunk contest, and they say um, he's the perfect height. 6'7 is the ideal height right. to impress the judges. Um, and I think what you'll notice from this dunk contest, um, I think Otis Smith is in the 88 one, but like yep. basically what you'll notice is there's a bias towards uh, longer, more sinewy guys in the 6'7 to 6'8 range or 6'6 to 6'8 range. Right. Um, and like less, and there's more of a, and there's, Less of a preference for guys who are bigger, 6'9", 6'10", 6'11", like right. Otis Smith. Um, you know, power dunkers, I feel like, typically yep. don't do too well, except for Dominique. He's probably the mm. best example. And Vince Carter is a bit of a power dunker as well, but he sure. he's capable of, of some of the similar feats of creativity and flexibility in the air. And I don't know if this is, like, well-founded, but I feel like there's a bit of a, like, one-foot leaper bias, too. Uh, yeah. which might develop later on where like the guys or maybe it's just that it's more aesthetic somehow that to be like so you get more of this like soaring walking yeah. on air uh view the, when you jump off one foot uh, and i think that sort of plagued um aaron gordon later on in the contest well i i, I think it did and you bring it because in 2016 gordon's a little smaller a little more <laughs> aesthetic in his dunks than we see him be in 2000 or 2020 when he's bigger and i think falls now into the power dunker category in 2016 as vicious as some of his dunks were they, they definitely were power dunks they were also still more beautiful dunks more difficult more complex dunks in certain ways so um i'm definitely susceptible to that bias so i i, I want to call that out um i'm yeah. never gonna pick artist gilmore to win uh, <laughs> the dunk well, every yeah. every contest has that tall guy that you're like why is he in it it's not that hard for him um, yeah yeah you look through it's like oh why does how the center get in there i mean yeah um, and so um yeah. this one comes down to the finals are jordan and wilkins we get three dunks from them each in the finals uh do you feel this one came out the way it should have wilkins over jordan yeah i do anyways i don't know I what do about too. you chris yeah. <laughs> well, this is a, wilkins in the previous year he actually came close to winning Right. And the in 84 and, and the only reason I would talk about 84 is that's the Larry Nance action figure dunk. Like where, you know, the famous. <laughs> sure. Um, and yeah, no, go ahead, Chris. Talk about yeah, it. Yeah, well, talent. I just think it's really, it was, um, it was Dominique coming out for the first time for that. And um, Dominique was doing that kind of stuff in games. Um, right. And, you know, that, first of all, Dominique is definitely probably the most underrated and unacknowledged, like, greatest player of all time you know what i mean like he he's fantastic and he's people don't talk about him as much as they should i mean the man averaged like 
27 points a game for 10 years. Um, is this a never won a championship issue? Because he is an yeah. amazing watch. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. But, but yeah, <laughs> so. I mean, Neek looked great in 84, but he got, he was, he got taken points off because he was less creative. So right. you see in 85, he just really brings it um, yeah. creatively. I think. Look at this. He slams it off the glass, goes up, catches, returns his back, and then slams it home. Boy, that was creative. Over the head slam. I'm calling that one a 10 for Wilkins. Definitely, definitely. But even in 85, I could feel the sense that everybody wanted Jordan to win uh, to some extent. That was the, I don't know, the vibe in the arena, it seemed to be. Uh, so I, I was just glad it, it bore out for Wilkins. He, he definitely should have won that contest. He did more, more complex dunks, all of that stuff. Um, yeah, so that, I almost feel yeah. like Jordan was nonchalant about this this dunk contest. And I don't I don't really know why. So, it's, I mean, that's isn't it that's odd a... knowing what we know, though, like we're watching the doc documentary that, you know, the 10 episode documentary that's been going on the his competitive intensity, even in celebrity games, was notorious. What is he doing there in 85? What is he doing? I don't well, I think know. He was like, pretty I... competitive, actually. Um, I, I mean, can't, this is the I moment where get he... over the. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, this is the famous moment where he tapes. He puts a mark, uh, some tape on the free throw line to mark, so just for so everyone can see where he's going to dunk. Um, well, and and that's a knock on uh, Dr. J um, implicitly because Dr. J's free throw line dunk, which became a famous standard, it was his heel touching the free throw line, and he took off from there. Dr. J's putting that piece of tape on or not, or Michael Jordan's putting that piece of tape on the free throw line to show that he's taking off farther back than anybody else has. That's why he's doing that. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like he's, he's at the point where like he isn't a star, a big enough star yet to like succeed without trying, especially in what is basically a popularity contest. Uh, right. We still have, uh, Dr. J in the contest, who's probably like the crowd favorite overall, right. uh, just because of like the longevity and because he like he like is he, he is was the, dunk. the dunk he is yes. the dunk contest <laughs> essentially. Like I think yeah. this is something that I, I was thinking about when watching this is that like uh, so the dunk contest in '76 it included Dr. J, David Thompson, um, Artis Gilmore, Larry Kennan. Um, all those guys and George Gervin, all those guys were studs in the ABA. So from the dunk contest inception, it was for great players. And so right. I think we've moved away from that model as the years have gone on and fewer great players have wanted to participate. But that was like basically a, a standard that was set in 76 um, and then like continued in 85 and 88 and like basically through the 90s, I, I would say, and even early right. 2000s with like Kobe uh, participating. Uh, yeah. But I think. I think um, also with, with that in mind is that like that the dunk contest is so new. Like in '76, they say that uh, these are like maybe the best dunkers in the world, and they were probably right about like, right yeah. about that. You know, besides <laughs> maybe like a streetball league or something in New York somewhere. Like these are probably the best dunkers in the world, right. and like we just can't really say that anymore. And so like I feel like the dunk contest has like lost some of its sheen. But in '76 through like '88, all these Jordan contests, like these people, like Jordan comes in the league in what '84, '85 of his rookie year, and and he's in the second. What he's in the um 
Yeah, he's in the second NBA dunk second contest, one. and yeah. like it's like that's huge for his legacy. He essentially becomes synonymous with the dunk contest, uh, the NBA right. dunk contest. Right. That's why I'm sure Nike paid for him to get through <laughs> uh, to the finals that year. Um, yeah, and it's but it's interesting. There were it was four great players today. There are specialists in a way there never used to be. And it isn't necessarily the best players that are the best dunkers anymore. It just um, I don't yeah. think we're anywhere close to that anymore. So Yeah, and I think I think also there's just like the whole attitude about it has changed like changed. Like I feel like there was um, a reverence for these players. Uh, like especially in seventy six and eighty five, the the announcers almost never really criticize anyone. Like they say <laughs> They sort of say it, it's good, but like they almost always couch their criticism. Whereas by '88, um, they're they're yeah. like attacking Otis Smith in '88 essentially, and Jerome um, Kersey and Spud Webb. They all had crap said about them by the announcers. Yeah, and Drexler too. They're sort of like Drexler can't bring it in the dunk contest compared <laughs> to in the games, um, and like. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's just sort of there's an evolution, I think, in the way that we treated uh, dunkers and the respect that we had for them that has, like, culminated in the now where, like, we get Charles Barkley um, and Kenny Smith um, and, you know, Kevin Hart on the broadcast just (laughs) the entire time. And there's just like a different vibe around the whole thing. Definitely. So that 88 contest, Otis Smith, Jerome Kersey, Spud Webb, Greg Cadillac Anderson, nobody's called Cadillac anymore, Michael Jordan, Clyde Drexler, and Dominique Wilkins again. The the criticisms, I think, are an interesting thing. Jerome Kersey gets called out for having small hands. That's why he can't dunk well. Um, Spud Webb is congratulated for just being able to make a dunk. <laughs> which you know so he's he's just sort of an odd novelty out there i, I recognize he's five six and it's kind of incredible that he can dunk at all but should he be in the dunk contest yeah so i didn't i'm sad i didn't go back and watch this is 88 he won in yeah. 86 right, right. right. yeah <laughs> so i didn't go back and watch the 86 dunk contest but my hot take is that spud webb winning a dunk contest was just mass fetishization because yeah. it's like this, for the this for the person, people yeah for the people. this this small person can dunk it's just like there's no reason he like like steve francis is in the 2000 dunk contest and again this right. is all evolutionary like steve francis and nate robinson built off spud webb but like there's a huge difference between steve francis dunking in 2000 and and spud webb dunking in 88 I don't, yeah, you know, yeah. in 86 i mean i i watch a good deal of that um he looked amazing i will say though i agree with you there's something about it just seemed wrong to me it was like <laughs> watching a child smoke a cigarette or something because he <laughs> he looks like a child yeah. compared to everyone and, i mean he's literally jumping probably 45 inches or, or yeah. more and, and um, just sort of barely getting there it's the it's the tamest dunk in any dunk contest ever. The angle, yeah, no, I think angles help it. But. Yeah, I think, I think you're right, Chris. I think he was a lot better in, in 86. And like the, for short guys, you kind of have to get the bounce right. Cause it, it makes it easier for you to get to your maximum height by like bouncing the ball to yourself without having to carry it. And he did that. So I think you're right that like he, he was much better, but yeah, there was something weird about it. Yeah, so moving on to the semis in the 88 contest, it's MJ, Otis Smith somehow squeaks through, Clyde Drexler gets there, and Dominique. 
I'm not even sure we need to talk about the semis except for MJ's kiss the rim dunk. Um, one of the famous ones where he was just so high. Uh, the, the athletic dominance is, is so clear. Uh, one that always stood out for me. He only gets a 48 for it. Um, but I think it was some conservative judging at the time. Um, any thoughts about the semis there? And also, by the way, I'm glad they don't have the semis anymore. I think it's you have the opening pool, then you have the finals. I think the three rounds was too much. I don't think it helped the dunk contests. W- compelling nature. Yeah, I agree. I agree. There, There's way too many dunks. Like, nowadays, the guys can, like, reasonably – save their best dunks for later right. whereas you, you couldn't really do that no um, you were seeing the same dunks in different rounds just because yeah. that's what Didn't was in the jordan bag do the that free was throw it line dunk twice <laughs> yep. did jordan do the free throw line dunk twice yeah i mean yep. I don't know. There were, he had a few that were done twice you know that that cradle windmill that you know he sort of got famous for it. It happened in a game. Um, it was a version of this kiss the rim da- uh, dunk. He he did that, I think, at least twice in the 88 contest. He did it in the 85 contest. You know, it was just a dunk we saw. It was his signature in a way. Yeah, so I feel like my argument was, okay, so I think MJ's kiss the rim dunk was maybe my favorite of his. The kiss the rim dunk was really good. And I, I don't know, I had a question, like, I don't know if you watched the 87. Was Jordan better in 87? Like, for me, Jordan's best dunks were the cradle dunk he had in 85. The kiss the rim dunk, He I know he did it, I think, in 87 as well as 88. Yep. And as you say, Michael, he got a lower score for it, I think, in, in 88. Because I think he took off, like, maybe one step oh. too far out. Um, yeah. He's kind of, like, reaching for the rim there. And then, obviously, he's got the free throw line dunk uh, that he did twice here in 88. So, I don't know. I, I, I found myself being like, was Jordan just better last in 87? Did he deserve to win? And I couldn't really decide because I feel like Dominique was – his dunks were extremely powerful. But he was also limited in a similar way that he basically was a windmill artist. Um, right. And that's basically all he could do. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, well, I, beautiful, I agree but it. it was limited yeah like um, like i think in watching all these dunks so i watched way too many not only did i watch these dunk contests <laughs> i watched like all the 50s that had been given out in the dunk contest yeah um, and i think a lot of guys they fall into like they're either between the legs guys um or windmill guys and i think the windmill guys are usually two foot jumpers and the between the legs guys are usually one foot jumpers and i think the one foot jumpers typically do better because they have more variety um and it just as we talked about before is more aesthetically pleasing it has more Uh, body flow yeah (laughs) but 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 this contest i was sort of torn between jordan and dominique and I, I mean, I feel like Jordan got some home cooking for sure. Like, Definitely. This Dominique, was in Chicago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Gail Sayers was on on the judges panel. Tom Hawkins was on the judges panel, a Chicago native. Like, there's no way Neek should have got a 45, I think, was for his last dunk that allowed. Oh, Jordan. yeah. There's that, no way he should have got a 45. Absolutely not. Because, and, and here's why. Jordan's second dunk was a double clutch, cradle, two-handed side slam. He got a 47 for it. Uh, Wilkins' third dunk, very similar. Baseline, two-handed windmill, 
it looks like if you break it down, it looks really similar to Jordan's, but he only gets a 45, even though it looks better, happens faster, and is thrown down more viciously. Somehow Wilkins only gets a 45, while Jordan gets a 47. And that's the difference in this contest. That's why Michael Jordan wins is that difference. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think I read the New York Times. There was a New York Times article about this. I tried to do a little research, and they really drove that home that, that Dominique was cheated out of this. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, fits, fits, fits yeah, into that, the that, theme. That two-handed like cradle. I think that was like. I don't even think that was. That's that's not even one of Jordan's top five best dunks. Like no. it's not. It wasn't as good as the cradle from the 85. It's not as good as the free throw line dunk. It's not as good as the kiss the rim dunk. Um, he did yeah. like a reverse double. He did a reverse pump that I think was just as good. Like that dunk was, it was just average. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, his first dunk in the finals in 88 is a double clutch two handed reverse with famous with the, you know, the legs out in the triangle. Like yeah. that was his best dunk. Um, yeah. After the kiss of the rim in this contest, but but yeah. but as you say, I think you can barely clearly see a Jordan bias or a favoritism <laughs> yeah. like Drexler. Also, oh, this is another thing I wanted to mention. I don't know what's the timeline in the Drexler Jordan rivalry right now, but Drexler is at odds. Like he has a uh, an adversarial relationship with the fans from the jump, from the yep. moment the contest starts. Like as soon as the ball goes in the crowd, he's almost like angrily like give me the freaking ball back. Like uh it's crazy. He gets some he gets some weak scores in the first round. I think it was at 44 on his first dunk and in the semis he gets a 42 on a dunk where it's just sort of like he was never going to be given a chance to win this. It was almost set in somehow that he, he was never, ever going to get a score. So that felt yeah, and, cooked in somehow. Yeah. And with all that said, I don't think he should have won. Like, I think, oh, no. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Like, Jordan is just cooler. He Jordan was yeah. just way cooler, yeah. you know. And, like, I think uh, this is another thing I noticed of, like, windmill form. So, like, Drexler had really good, like, straight arm windmill, like, bringing it all the way down. But as the announcers say, he's not really doing anything with his legs. Um, right. And I think more importantly than that, he's just not jumping as high as Jordan. So that kills his aesthetic value. Like, I don't if he was jumping higher, I don't think he'd need to be doing anything with his legs. But, right. um, yeah, it just it just well, wasn't there for him. It's fascinating what you're, you know, doing something with your legs is part of the trajectory of the more complex dunk after, after, you know, initially as what you did with the ball, you know, what you did with the ball on the way to the basket, then what you did with the ball at the basket, then it became what you did with your legs as part of the showmanship of it. One of the things I think that gets missed out of Dominique Wilkins, he has amazing finishes and landings. He should have won all of the contests just for that. If you go back and look <laughs> at those, he's really laying it out there on his finishes, especially 88. So, um, all right, let's let's um, move into I think there's, you know, the, the dunk contest had uh, a little bit of a lull uh, after Michael Jordan stopped competing when Dominique retires, you know, all of that. I think there's a pretty common marker. 2000 Vince Carter. This is the contemporary dunk now. Uh, when we get to the 2000 contest, Vince Carter's very first dunk is a reverse 360 one-handed windmill. 
And here is Vince Carter with his first stop. <laughs> Let's go home. Let's go home, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go home. Hey, that is a reverse 360 going against the grain. That is unbelievable. This building just exploded. And he finishes with <laughs> his elbow by hanging by his elbow, his whole forearm in the rib. And that, and as one of the announcers, I want to say it was Kenny Swiss says, Michael move over. And then later, I think he says, it's over, it's over. And even Vince Carter uh, mouths it, I think. to congratulate Vince Carter. This is unheard of. Oh, my goodness gracious. It is over. This was a clear changing of the guard and what the dunk could be. What did you guys think of 2000? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, well, two th- I, I think what you guys were just talking about, like you see the evolution of the aesthetic, um, and it kind of all comes to re- a realization with Vince Carter, like he has all of the, those things you were talking about. So he's got power, obviously, um, but he's still not over six, six or six, seven, or how tall is he six, six or so he still looks impressive doing these things. Right. He obviously gets a lot of air. He's creative. Um, but he also gets way up there, which is one of the things that, you know, everyone notices about a dunk, which is, Oh, his head's above the rim. It's way above the rim. Um, I actually think that's more to do with camera. Uh, angles but still um he did get up there and so he had everything i mean like you saw back in the 76 contest or whatever that uh guys were just trying to get as high as they could but without any other really creative elements mm-hmm. and now right. you see the whole package with vince carter so what do you jalen what do you think about it i completely agree with everything you said i think vince is sort of the the full package like you said he's the mix of power and finesse uh from from the earlier dunkers you know i think kenny smith on the broadcast says he's a mix of dominique and jordan and you see that in his first dunk which i which i think his first dunk was the best dunk of the night and his best (laughs) dunk. um and which is sort of an interesting thing that to like you know, throw out your best dunk on the first one, but yeah, it's a 360 windmill, and it's yeah. it's not like a it's not like a windmill with a bent elbow. His arm is completely straight in like a catapult motion. It's yeah, it's extremely impressive. And he says, I think for his um his his third dunk, the off the bounce between the legs from with the pass right. from Tracy McGrady, he said on the broadcast that he had never done that dunk before. That was the first time he had oh, ever completed wow. it. Um so yeah, it was it, like you said, it was the evolution. It was like how we got, you know, Richardson, Jason Richardson in two thousand three yeah. and two later, you know, how we got Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon, you know, Vince Carter was Jones Jr. Yeah, exactly. To some extent. Um, there was some other good dunking in this 2000 contest too, though. Yeah. Stevie Francis, Francis, I always said franchise. Stevie Francis was <laughs> was really great, and Tracy yeah. McGrady was amazing to watch too. They mm-hmm. they the the uh, announcers kept bagging on McGrady a lot for how he passed the ball to himself for these dunks, but he was amazing to watch. I don't think he got the credit he deserved there. Yeah, no, he. I think you're right. I think all three of these guys, the finalists, I think Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady, and Steve Francis put on a great show. And Francis, too. 
He got the they had like a a dunk meter or jump meter or whatever and they're saying Francis was like forty four inches, uh was his wow. vertical and I I believe it. Like he he got so high and then he still had time to do a move once he got up there and it seemed like he wasn't always planning what he was gonna do <laughs> before he got up there. So <laughs> right. that was really interesting to see. Uh, right. Yeah, I mean I was I was impressed with, with Steve Francis for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's jump ahead again to the 2016 contest, which we've already mentioned. This one's famous. Oh, wait, for... wait, wait. Before, yeah, before we ahead. jump ahead, how do people feel about the honey dip? Like, how has the honey dip aged in everyone's mind? <laughs> which is when dip? Carter puts his elbow in the rim. Oh, is that what it's called? Um, I mean, doesn't it's... that hurt? I've never dunked a basketball. It has to hurt. That has to hurt. Yeah, I'm like, how did his shoulder not pop out? He's swinging from his elbow with his shoulder in a very compromised position. Well, and it looks like he knows it's going to hurt or he knows he has to be prepared in some way. Because you, if, if you go back and look at the, he's rubbing his arm in mm-hmm. some of the footage before. And you're like, what the heck is he doing? But like, he was getting prepped for whatever that was going to be. It had to hurt. That said, yeah. is it like it's amazing, but do I want to look at that dunk? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking about too. Like it's so impressive, but like I feel like everyone was just on a high from his previous three dunks that like they, <laughs> yeah, just, sure. they didn't they didn't know how to react to that one, but I'm kind of like I don't know, it's basically like if someone jumps like to 12 feet like when Dwight Howard in later dunk contests, like he didn't do that many like crazy moves. He was just jumping really high because he was already so tall. Right. And I kind of feel like that dunk is is that, you know, it's it's less about the creativity of what he did and more about like the height uh, right. that allowed him to stick his entire arm in the rim. Right. The the ease that he could get that height to be able to do that sort of thing was mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. But does anybody do that anymore? Have we seen it since? I don't Oh, Hamadou Diallo did it. Um, oh, yeah, he did. Really? Yeah, I forget what year it was. I think he did it when he jumped, he he dunked over Shaq and did it. Right. Wow. wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's an odd move. I don't know if we'll like, will that continue to have a history. That'll be interesting to see because so many pieces of this do continue to have a history. You know, a particular dunk or an element of a dunk gets picked up and combined with another dunk, and we see that happening all throughout this history, and we see it to some extent in the Levine Gordon 2016 contest. There were a bunch of people in this, but I actually took notes on nobody else except uh, Levine and Gordon. Did, did you guys have anything you wanted to say about anybody else in this contest? 2016? I, yeah. I don't know if anybody else mattered here. It was no. Will Barton and Andre Jarman, so no, no, no one else yeah. mattered. <laughs> so, so nobody else mattered here in, in, in a sense. I loved this contest right off the start stuff the orlando magic mascot is out on the court on a what is that a hoverboard something that's spinning yeah. around right. uh 360 degrees stuff is holding the ball up in the mass in, in the left arm of his costume while he's spinning gordon times his junk jump to grab the ball at the proper spin point then he cups it and it's a windmill slam um 
with his hand behind his head because he he wanted to show a little bit. Um, I love that right off the start. Levine on his first, he gets a 50 for it. Gordon deservedly gets a 50 for it. Levine on his very first dunk, he does, it's a bounce pass. I can't, is this to himself or somebody else did it? I can't remember. One-handed windmill, he cups it as well. Almost the same dunk as Gordon without stuff the mascot involved. Levine also gets a 50. And this is the problem with this dunk contest, yeah. what happens right there. Because I think they both get 50s, but Gordon's dunk is clearly better. And Kenny Smith is talking about it quite a bit. Gordon's 50 is better than Levine's 50. And that's one of the problems with the dunk contest. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I was going to make the same argument. And I think this is the most sound argument and I think the most irrefutable. I think this argument also doesn't denigrate Zach Levine's greatness or the accomplishments right. of his other dunks. This is the same dunk. Uh, Gordon went first. Levine followed him. So he could have done something different. He chose to do the yeah. same dunk. Um, and he did the same dunk without the like difficulties of the hoverboard uh, spinning around to make the right. catch without the head behind the head. Um, so like yeah. Levine's dunk just simply isn't wasn't as good. It wasn't as right. difficult. It wasn't as impressive. And like that's why Aaron Gordon lost the contest. If if Levine doesn't get a 50 there, it doesn't matter what he gets on the next dunk because Gordon got another 50 because yep. the next dunk he did was even better. Um, <laughs> yep. So it doesn't matter. It's just over. That's it. Levine gets yeah. 150, Gordon gets two. It's it. He's the champion. Twice in a row, Gordon's 50 is better than Levine's 50, and it should have been over there. It reminds me of something um, some mathematicians say. Some infinities are larger than other infinities. And <laughs> that sort of explains what happened here. Um, yeah, but so they're tied. They each have two 50s. They go into, I think they called it sudden dunk. Did I hear that right? How many? They did six dunks. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I think they, what they do, three in the first round, and then they're supposed to do two in the second round, in it the was championship three, round. Three, two, and then there were two sudden dunks. Yeah. So yeah. they had to, they ended up doing seven, seven total dunks yeah. in this contest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in the first two sudden dunks, also 50-point dunks for each player. Um, and again, I think you could argue that Gordon's 50 is once again better than Levine's 50. Um, but then we get to the last dunk. Gordon um, uh, does a dunk where he has two hands on the ball. He touches it to the back of his head. Then he pulls his legs up, simultaneously taking the ball all the way down to his feet, does a two-handed reverse jam. He gets a 47. Now, yeah. that seemed unfair to me. I think it's unfair in part because you can only see how amazing that back of the head foot then to the foot touch is in slow motion. I'm not sure you can see it in live action. And so he either gets downgraded for that or 
Zach Levine was always going to win this contest, and Aaron Gordon was never going to win this contest. Yeah, that, I, I'm literally I'm looking at that dunk again just to take another look. I, you, I think you're right. You have to see that in slow motion. I um, think there are things, and we saw this in different dunk contests. I think when players did movements like that with the ball, um, top to bottom, left to right, those sorts of things, they have to happen so quickly that I don't think the difficulty is really registering for the judges or the TV viewership. Those are incredibly difficult things to do in that very short amount of time while uh, you're doing other things with your body. And I just don't think for whatever reason that shows yeah, well enough to get the credit. He's sort of you know, walking and chewing gum at the same time here. Um, now that I'm looking at it again, it's yeah. nuts what he does. Because he also lifts his legs all the way up to his chest. Yeah, yeah, no, it's crazy. it's incredible. And the and Levine's last dunk is a free free throw line dunk almost. He's actually within uh, steps within it between the legs, one handed slam. It's a great dunk. He gets fifty for it, but I just yeah. don't see how it's actually better <laughs> than what Aaron Gordon did four times. Yeah, I think it was one of these situations where like Levine, like what we talked about that. That uh, that third dunk allowed Levine to like save these better dunks. Like he basically, I don't know if he made a calculated decision or if it just happened that way, but he was basically like, I'm gonna throw my arms tired, whatever you know, like a pitcher in baseball. I'm gonna throw this get me over curveball in the first pitch, and I'm either <laughs> gonna be up 0-1 in the count or it's gonna be 440 feet in the stands. And he got away with it, and that yeah. meant that he had he had the good stuff for later in the rounds. But like he shouldn't have been able to get away with it because he did literally the same dunk as Gordon and I think as you said like you know Gordon's 50s were better I think Gordon's three dunks the three dunks that he did in a row between the legs over a mascot on a hoverboard that's one uh, with his <laughs> yeah. head his head was at the rim I think his head was legitimately at the rim um then he yeah. got the, the 360 off the the catch from the mascot spinning on the hoverboard with the hand the offhand behind the head that's two and then the <laughs> yeah. third one over the mascot, off two feet, ball under the butt, lifting his legs up. He's doing a crunch in midair. He's basically sitting down in midair. Yeah, sideways over the mascot. And just dunks yeah. it home. And none of these are like – this isn't a situation where he's like catching the rim and it's not going in smooth. All these are going down clean, like – there's no way a guy does those three dunks and doesn't win the competition. Like it's absolutely crazy. And I think as I watched these over, I, I gained more respect for Levine's dunks. Like I should say, we should say Levine is probably like what top two of dunk dunkers in like NBA history. And as far as this, and Levine, um, his dexterity is crazy. He does these (laughs) behind the back, dunks with ease and if you look uh, one of the 50s i think andre iguodala did the a behind the back dunk earlier uh, a couple years earlier like i think the mid in the 2010s and it does not look nearly as good as levine's um mm. and levine yeah, levine makes it look so easy every single move there's yeah. there's yeah a fluidity to it we rarely see in these contests He's 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 an air walker and he's jumping off one foot every single time. And it's crazy that he's getting the the height of other players off one foot and he's traveling that distance. Like, again, I I came away with a lot of respect for Levine 
Yeah. I don't think he should have won the contest, but like his final dunk was better than I think it was better than Gordon's final dunk. But he had okay. already lost the contest, in my opinion, earlier. And we see a similar well, circumstance next in 2020 with uh, essentially Derek Jones Jr. does the same dunk. I don't think he's as high as Levine, but he does this, essentially the same dunk to win, which is a just inside the free throw line between right. the legs. Yeah. And a really similar dunker to Levine. The power dunkers losing to the finesse dunker or the nuance, whatever we're going to call it. Just, the, you know, yeah. the more aesthetically beautiful dunker is clearly Levine. And it is clearly Derek Jones Jr. And Gordon loses in both cases. You also, in one of our group threads or chats somewhere, Jalen, you brought up another reason for Gordon possibly not winning these. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so Levine came in with the hype from winning in 2015. Um, he didn't do any elaborate dance or like contrived uh, dog and pony show uh, to start the competition. Uh, whereas Gordon does, he's dressed uh, in like a suit. I think he's doing some like uh, the I think Classic Man by Jadena is playing, and he's dressed I don't know like a magician or something in in nod to the magic. And I think the entire time the contest, Levine kind of has the attitude, especially up until the point where where Gordon dunks the between the legs over the mascot. Levine is just completely confident. He's like, this is my competition. I'm competing against myself. Kenny Smith says that on the broadcast. And I just think Gordon just seems like, I don't know, I, we talked about this with like Jordan and Kevin Durant, like it seems like people don't like it when you need their approval or want their yeah. approval. They just, they just want you to be like extremely confident on your own and like not looking for approval. And I felt yeah. like that was the issue for, for Gordon. He just like, he was explaining all his dunks after he did them almost like to, <laughs> yep. to make sure people would notice exactly what he did instead of just like screaming and being like, you know, I'm the best. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know how much credence there is to that or if you guys have different opinions. But that, that I mean, was my thought. I mean, I saw it, too. And I saw it. I think it was even more overt in the 2020 contest, his need for that approval and understanding that the judges knew how difficult what he had done was. It felt like he was playing really hard to that. And it cost him to some extent. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, it's kind of the curse of the unacknowledged genius or whatever. He's not getting the attention he wants. Yeah. So he asks for it and people, people uh, don't like that. So. It's unfortunate because he is, a, if, if we remove that stuff, it's amazing just to watch him do what he can do and it's not showing out as well as it might. Uh, I know we all watched a ton of dumb. Not just these contests, but <laughs> dunks from all eras, times, best of contests. Chris, do you want to give us some of your favorites? Uh, sure. Well, I think, you know, the two that stuck out to me, I was trying to find, well, for a while I was trying to find, like, the guy no one remembers is in the league or was in the league and who happened to have an amazing dunk. And that turned out to be Stansberry. Stansberry, right. Yeah, yeah. I love but seeing then, him. Yeah, and but then two just sort of stuck out of me as being one pretty really well done and probably very difficult to to execute, which is 2005 Amari. Um, he threw the ball and Steve Nash head butted it back to him for an alley oop. Um, nice. It's ridiculous, but it's got to be hard, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, uh, and what about yeah. the link you sent me for the Javale McGee dunk? That was nuts, right? <laughs> it was. I'd never. Do you know before. this one? When he dunked the two basketballs? 
Yeah, on two different baskets. They, they had yeah, two yeah. basket supports right next to each other. Yeah, that was crazy. I mean, he's just go-go gadget arms. Um, I Also, another one, Chris, I don't know if you remember, I think Fred Jones was playing for Indiana at the time. I think this was like oh. 04. He's in the dunk contest, and I think he got a couple 50s. And they weren't crazy creative, but there was one where he threw like a bounce pass and, and he he's in the air and the ball is like drifting away from him. And you can see him stretch out to get it and then come all the way back to dunk it. And I that one stuck out to me. Yeah, he's a little guy. And so that's why he's one of those guys that that was like a 182. He was like, you know twirling it was a twirly one um yeah, yeah yeah that one was really impressive and i think what i took away with from watching all these dunks is i i like tried to come up with like rules basically like so we've we've talked about a bunch of uh, judging issues in the dunk contest and i guess i was sort of thinking how could it Im- it be improved and i think one would be bringing back body flow and like uh yeah. crowd concepts um but also i think um like looking at the windmill, like I think if your arm is straighter, is straight on the windmill, I think you should get more credit for that. I think it makes it more difficult. Right. Um, I think the behind the back dunk is like a really understated one because again, I think the dexterity to complete that is really hard, even though Zach Levine makes it look so easy. Um, like I think between the legs dunks just look the best. It's like I think for me, it's between between the legs dunks and and windmills uh which ones look the best and i don't know if people agree but those were those were some of the things i was thinking about along with as i said before like power dunkers generally yeah. don't do too well i do have you know it's unfortunate that he wasn't in any of the dunk contests as far as i know anyway um but one of my favorite dunkers ever is uh still uh, daryl dawkins not just because he broke so many backboards and it was so amazing to see then but also for his elaborate fantasy life around these dunks he had all of these nicknames for himself for the dunks um you know he was chocolate thunder he was sir slam he was dr dunk he was also the turbo sexophonic delight as well as the spine chiller (laughs) supreme and all of this happened on planet love tron from the planet love tron 611 center daryl dockett those backboards before um, I, I think the guy's name was Earhart developed that hinged base for the basketball hoop um, was one of the most amazing things in basketball and he and Dr. J were on the same team I grew up loving those so that was always a touchstone for me even though I still very much fall into the Dr. J Zach Levine Derek Jones Jr. camp on what is uh, a, a great dunk so um yeah, some interesting pieces there. And I, I think um, there are a couple other pieces I want to talk about. I want to go back to that humiliation aspect of the dunk. Um, the most famous instance of this is Vince Carter over the seven foot two Frederick Weiss, who had just oh. been drafted by the Knicks. I think he'd already Knicks. been drafted when this had happened in the Olympics. I went back and watched it. It is probably the most humiliating dunk i've seen uh do you think that's what kept Frederick vice from having any sort of legitimate nba career or was he just not that good of a basketball player you can take it, it chris first <laughs> uh well I, I this was just i just read an article 
the article is old, but I read this a couple months ago. I mean, it's actually really sad. Frederick Weiss went into like after he got out of the NBA, NBA, he couldn't make it in the NBA. He went into like year long tailspin of uh, depression, and wow. they asked him about this, and he's like, "Yes, that was part of it." Like, I mean, it's not funny at all, but at the same time, like that that sort of drives home the point that this is truly a disrespectful thing when you, even though it's just a game. Um, but yeah, also, yeah, Vice just never worked out for the Knicks. I, f- I forget who uh, they should have drafted, but not him. So I, I bring it up in part because there's a dunk from this last season, uh, a missed dunk that I still can't stop seeing uh, because of the audacity is it, is of it. Is it John Morant? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. He attempts to no. dump, dunk over Kevin Love, and it is the most humiliating miss dunk, missed dunk I've ever seen. I think. What would have happened if John makes that dunk? So my instinct is to say that most of these players, especially the younger ones, growing grow up in the AAU circuit and they grow up in the mixtape circuit. So they've yep. probably been on the wrong side of one of these situations <laughs> sure. already in their life. And so I think with the Frederick Vice situation, it's just like, I don't know. What, when when did that happen again? It's like uh, – I think um, it was a 2000 Olympic. Do I have that right? It's, yeah. it's like I feel like we don't have the same concept of things going viral and then disappearing. Right. And we also we also it happened in the Olympics, which is like yeah. worldwide. It's not just in the NBA. Like if something happens in the NBA, chi- people in China are probably watching it. But like it's maybe not as aware. You're not made aware of it so much because it's not an international event. Right. Um, so this I think was it was an a, international humiliation. Yeah, and and it it was almost like it was almost like uh, a microcosm of like y- the the USA team stomping on them. Like it was a <laughs> yeah. em- it was yeah. an emblematic act, uh, and it was it, yeah. It, I feel like it was so many factors that made it so much worse than like I think just about anything that could happen in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, that was brutal, a brutal finish. Um, all right, any last thoughts on the dunks? I was just going to say shout out to Jason Richardson, who we didn't really talk about in oh. this because he wasn't in any of these dunk contests. But he, I think he's probably top five uh, best dunkers in NBA history, yeah. both, both in the dunk contest and in games. Um, and he's also someone else who like falls in that Dominique Wilkins, Vince Carter mix of power dunkers who, who are capable of going between their legs and doing these impressive windmills. Um, he's also a two foot jumper like both of those guys. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, those are amazing. Oh three, oh four. I can't remember uh, the years, yeah, yeah, but um, yeah. it would definitely worth going back to look at yeah. his. Yeah. So, um, Chris, any last thoughts? Well, when you say going back, like, oh, yeah, we forgot to talk about Richardson. Um, I think actually people get, get bored with something that's truly amazing. That's that's always kind of my take on the dunk <laughs> contest. And I even myself do it like there's some fantastic. Fantastic dunks like Stansberry is the one I found, and like I think it's just people they they get bored with something that's you know uh, absolutely amazing, but also yeah. I guess when it's delivered in a dunk contest format, it's less exciting. So I've always been a more 
I like watching in-game dunks. So that's where I, I would do another pod on in-game dunks for sure. Yeah, they're very they're very different things these days. The in-game dunk versus the dunk contest. I don't think that was the case in '76, but by 2000 and especially 2020, it's definitely the case. Um, the, yeah, it's, it's just a very different context. Yeah, we didn't talk about any of this, but like in the Dunkumentaries uh, podcast at ESPN, uh, they talk about uh, Chuck Chuck Millen, who's basically like the dunk consultant in the NBA, who's the head of Team Flight Brothers, and oh, basically right. all these all these guys consult him and help. Th- he helps them plan their dunks and give them ideas. So yeah, like these guys are doing dunks that people probably had never even thought of in '76 right. and '84 and '88. So it's so different, and I think. Also, another issue, I think, with the dunk contest is we didn't talk about presentation much, but Mm. I feel like you can track the success of the dunk contest based on who's sponsoring it. Like in in (laughs) in 84 and I think in 88, in 85 and 88, Gatorade is a sponsor. And then we get, I think, Sprite in 2000. Um, We get Verizon, I think, in uh, 2016, and now I think it's Mountain Dew or something. And again, I don't know, not to say that those companies aren't reputable or like good, but it just seemed like things got more hokey and more extravagant without like much purpose. Um, And it became this like show for for the sake of show and and it couldn't stand on its own merits, basically, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. So, um, yes. Well, maybe we should come back and talk about in-game dunks versus the dunk contest because it is an entirely different thing. And there's um, one other key thing that I stumbled on in my history research. I'm just seeing it in my notes now. It's really key that Naismith chose the height of the hoop to be 10 feet. A little higher, not nearly as many people can dunk. A little lower, a lot more people can dunk. Right. It was sort of a really important height to provide this differentiation in gameplay that we have today. So whether, you know, it's almost as if Naismith lucked into it, but it was a very prescient choice, that that 10-foot hoop. So, all right. I think that is it for this episode of the Shot Tower Pod. We are turning off the phantom power. Cheers. Ha, 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 ha.